Hey, we've been in this Advent series for the last several weeks. And uh, if you haven't been able to uh, be in person to hear those, or you haven't been able to listen to them online, uh, I want to encourage you to do that. Pastor William uh, was the first week, and Pastor Jason last week. And so I want to encourage you to go back to listen to those and engage with them. And you're going to hear uh, a lot about the context and the story of what's going on uh, in the reality of God's people here in the book of Isaiah. Uh, a lot of good historical context. But today I'm going to kind of land a little bit more in that Advent uh, reality. And our word for the day is faith. And so we'll have that theme woven throughout the time together today. But Advent is a, a word that comes from a Latin word which means coming. That it's really about waiting with anticipation for something that is yet to come. So in this case, we wait with great anticipation for the coming of Jesus, both in his birth and in his return. And that's the good news. Uh, if we're rolling in this morning, if any of you are rolling in like I did today with a pretty empty tank, it's good news for us is that we can await and know that Jesus has come and is coming again. So today's sermon is not going to be full of points. It's going to be full of questions for us. Questions that will help us wrestle with the whole heart of what Advent really is about, and that's waiting. Here's the first question I have for you. Are your Christmas feels about faith, or are they about nostalgia? Are they about faith, or are they about nostalgia? And here's what I mean. Is this a season for you where you slow down, Life comes to a pace that you can manage and you get to reflect on the birth of Jesus, the life and the death and his resurrection and his promise to come again? Or is this season one that is full of busyness and gift buying and tree trimming and, and light hanging and decorating, baking more cookies than anybody should ever eat? And forgotten totally about why we do all of those things in the first place. I think that we can all struggle with these two realities from time to time. But when it comes to faith or nostalgia, I think that we're tempted to lean towards nostalgia. We remember the joy that we felt at Christmas time when we were a kid, and it was the weeks and the days leading up to Christmas morning that were filled with that nervous anticipation of wondering if that one thing that you really hoped was under the tree was going to actually be under the tree. Or maybe you just lived in that anticipation of wondering if there would be anything under the tree at all. Or whether family would be able to gather together. Or maybe you just love the decorations, the lights and the trees, and all of those are good things. But here's what I'm wanting right now. To have a Christmas morning and a Christmas season that feels like it did when I was a kid. Do y'all remember what that felt like? I think everybody, no matter your age, you have some memory of what that was like. There was that nervous anticipation, like butterflies in the stomach, and you were not really sure what was going to happen. And I just want to go back to the way it was then. To look forward to the gift that I knew was coming, but I hadn't seen yet, and I want to get there, and I want to get after it. Or for things just to go back to the way they used to be. To be able to go to my granny's house on Christmas Eve for lunch. She passed the week of Thanksgiving at the age of 100. So we'll gather this year, but not at her house. 
I want to go back. I want to feel like it used to feel. But I know that some things will never be the same. Sure, I find joy. I'm not a harsh dad sometimes. I find joy in my kids' joy on Christmas season. And seeing them engage with seeing all of these things and seeing the gifts and the morning and the excitement and, and we'll make new Christmas Eve traditions, but things will never be the same. Does this lyric sound familiar to you? The hopes and fears of all the years. Does it, you recognize that one? I think today I'm feeling dashed hopes and affirmed fears from all the years. And maybe you are too. So here's the question that I'm asking myself and I've been asking this week and I want to challenge all of you with this morning. Is your desire for Christmas morning greater than your desire for what we should be celebrating at Christmas? Are we chasing nostalgia more than we're chasing faith? Have we lost sight of why we celebrate with the trees and the lights, the events and the parties and the gifts and the season-specific songs? Have we allowed the world to tell us the Advent season is about something that we know good and well it's not about? And have our desires for Jesus become distorted? Before I read this morning, I want to give a brief reminder a little bit on the context. I'm not going to go into the history that the guys have before this sermon. In my mind was a five to ten minute recap of the first two, but that's not where it ended up landing. So I need you guys to go listen to those. If you miss them, if not, be reminded of what they've said. But it's important to know that these words aren't written to people who've got it all together. These are a disadvantaged people. They're a hurting people. They're people who have lost control of the world that is around us, and they're facing very real challenges in their life. And as we gather today, these same things are likely true for many of us, if not all of us, this morning. There's global turmoil. At any moment, the war to end all wars could erupt. There's social and political turmoil in our own country and we can barely get along with people that we don't agree with and have different views and ideals from. And there's relational turmoil in our families. And we're going to see on full display as we gather together years of broken hopes and dreams are never more in our face than they are in this season. But here's my fear for us this morning. That in all of these hard realities, in all of these festive things that are fun for us, in all of it, we accept a cheap imitation of what God intends for us to truly experience. Isaiah 11, 6-9 is a reset. It's a reminder that God wants everyone, everywhere, experiencing Jesus. He wants us to rest in our saving King. King Jesus, not in an earthly president or prime minister or king, but He wants us to give our allegiance to the one true King, King Jesus. Y'all, I'm going to have to read this text before I start preaching, Okay? Let's jump in and read. Isaiah 11 is written, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. 
The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play with the hole of the cobra. The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. This is the word of the Lord. Father, this morning, as we look to your word, in this season of waiting, God, would you remind us that it's faith in Jesus and his coming and his life and his death and his resurrection and his giving us new life and his promised second coming at the second advent. God, may we find great hope and peace in that this morning in this season of waiting. And in, Father, in a passage that might be a little bit unexpected, may we see you and your love and your care for us. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Why is it that the picture given to us here in Isaiah is so hard for us? Is it because it's simultaneously beautiful and it's unimaginable? It's not like the writing has this big gaping hole and we have to use our imaginations to fill in. It's very clear. It just paints something that, is, uh, that we're just not questioned with. And, and it leaves us here with questions. But I know what came to mind for me. It's because the reality of this picture does not look anything like my life. It doesn't look like what we just read. My reality looks far more like the scene of an apocalyptic movie than this beautiful picture Isaiah has just painted. If we're all being honest this morning, and to be fair, I know some of you won't be, okay? It's all right. But if we're all honest, our life isn't peaceful and serene. It's chaotic. It's upended. It's sideways. That's the reality for all of us in one way or another. For some of us, the toll of the last 18 or 20 months has has come to a point that's overwhelming us. Our work just isn't the same and, and we just don't enjoy doing it anymore. Or maybe we lost our job and we've not been able to find one yet. Families have gone months and years and almost two years now without seeing one another. And relationships have been strained because of distance apart. And look, the distance is many forms. It's the distance of quarantines and shutdowns that have kept us apart. The physical separation continues. It's moves for new jobs. It's the distance uh, because we're vastly different in our political ideals. It's the growing distance relationally because of different social ideals. Maybe though, maybe your life hasn't changed at all. Maybe you're still a single mom who's doing everything that you can to put food on the table and a roof over your kids' heads and still be able to spend some time with them. Maybe your bank account is not better off than it was the beginning of last year. Maybe it's far worse off than it was then. Maybe your kids, no matter how much you love them and care for them and have shown them the way to behave, when they get in public, they act a fool. (laughs) Some things never change. Maybe the prodigal still hasn't returned to the faith that you faithfully raised them in. Maybe they've gone further away. But Chris, you're still pretty young. What do you know about life's disappointments? 
I'm not going to pretend to know the extent and the depth that some of you have walked through, but I do know what it's like to stand and look in the face of financial ruin because the business you started fell apart when the economy crashed. I do know what it is like to have kids who have been taught to show love to others and they treat their siblings terribly. I do know what it is like to experience the disappointment of stepping out of a job in a place that you love deeply and dearly and stepping into another one that didn't ever end up being all that you had hoped and dreamed for. I've walked the road of failure after failure after failure and fighting against sin patterns in my life. Loss has not evaded me. Like you, rolling up to this text isn't the most relatable thing that I've done in the last few weeks. Because ultimately, it doesn't look anything like my life and my experience and my reality and my current circumstances. The reason we can't relate to the picture that is painted here for us is because we can't reconcile it with our own experience. It's completely upside down in the most beautiful way. From our experience in this broken world, it's upside down. The wolf dwells with the lamb. The leopard lies with the goat. It's upside down. The lion between a tender young calf and a massive hefty cow. And an infant leading them. A bear grazing in a field like a cow. And the calves and the baby bears are resting together. It's upside down. A lion grazing in straw like an ox. And an infant playing with poisonous snakes. None hurt. None destroyed. It's upside down. It's counterintuitive. It's counter to the culture and the natural order of things. How is this even possible? But if we stop and we think about God's economy, there's one thing that it becomes clear quickly, and that's that it's pretty upside down. God Himself came to live amongst us, our life. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the, sorry, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And just a few verses down, it said, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's upside down. Gods and kings don't come to commoners, but He did. But He didn't come in some secluded, private, exclusive birthing suite at the most prestigious hospital in all of the land. He came in a cave where animals feed and were kept. He didn't come as the strong military power. He came gentle and lowly. He didn't come to endear himself to the social elites. He came and was among the fringes, the sick, the discarded, and the poor. And when we view God's promised Messiah, Jesus, through our Western and our modern worldview, none of that makes any sense. Upside down. But if the words of Isaiah 65 are true, and Isaiah 65, 17 says this, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. 
And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping or the cry of distress. What if this is actually true? And it is. It's completely upside down. And that is the way God designed it to be. This is what we have to look forward to. A new heaven and a new earth that is totally backwards from the broken and dysfunctional world that we live in right now. It's not some improved version of America. It's not some more peaceful than our current current uh, geopolitical and climate around the globe. It's something totally new, completely new. It's better than brand new even. And it's so good that we'll forget all about this world or anything we could have ever dreamed it up to be that's better than it is. But maybe you're feeling a bit like I am today. Look, I'm not going to share a ton, but the last several months have been quite difficult in my own life. There have been several losses, and there are more to come. One of my closest friends died Friday night at 49 from his third bout with cancer, leaving behind his wife and 13-year-old daughter. I shared that my granny died the Sunday before Thanksgiving at 100. Old dreams have died and new dreams have not yet come. Relationships have been broken and are left still unreconciled. And I am physically exhausted. Have you been there? Are you there now? Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking in the back of your mind, Chris, that new heaven and that new earth sounds amazing, but I don't think I can hold on until then. I get that. And you are not alone. You're not alone. I'm feeling some of that, and this room is full of brothers and sisters who are feeling the same. And hopefully, somewhere in the back of our minds, we're reminded right now in this very moment that we may not be able to hold on, but Jesus is holding on to you. It's like with the people of Israel. God made a covenant with them, and they broke it. He kept his into the deal, and they didn't. We may not be able to hold on, but he is holding on to you this morning. He is faithful to hold his commitment to you. Jesus will hold you. He says in John 6, 37, All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's good news this morning. He's not discarding you and throwing you away. In fact, He is holding you. He's not leaving you to your own devices. He's holding you. Hear me, church. Jesus is holding on to you even when you were not holding on to Him. But if you want your current reality to look a little less bleak and a little more hopeful, hold on to Him this morning. Hold on on to Jesus. Hold on to what you know to be true about Him. Hold on to what you know to be true about yourself because of what He has done for you. Hold on to what He has proven in your life over and over and over again. And when you don't see anything right in front of you, look back. 
Look back and see what he has done for you throughout the course of your life, what he has given you, what he has done in you, and what he has promised to you. And look forward and hold on there too. Hold on to the promise that he who came, born of a virgin in a place where animals would feed and were put down for the night, in the evening, this, he, this baby, this king Jesus is coming again. Y'all, there are dead remains in some tomb somewhere in Israel. He is risen. He is not there. He has ascended to the right hand of God. And oh, dear brothers and sisters, he is coming again. And when he does, we are going to celebrate like no other because we will be fully healed. We will be no more sickness, no more pain, and the dead in Christ will rise. Our world will be restored to a perfect creation yet again. The wolves and the lambs will dwell together. The calves and the fighted calves will be hanging out with the lions and the infant's going to be leading them and tending to them because peace will reign on earth and that peace is ushered in in the circumstance when Jesus returns at the second advent when he will be reigning and ruling over all of creation, the new creation where predators will no longer hurt and destroy and we will dwell on the holy mountain with our God. He and his people will dwell together forever. That's our hope. That's our future. And if it isn't, what are we doing here? Are we just checking the box of the right things to do during the Christmas season? Go to church a couple Sundays. Check. This is the good things to do to be a good Christian. Tend worship. Check. Or because people have certain perceptions of us, that this is the thing that we should do. Or maybe you're here because you have questions that you've been desperately seeking answers to. For all of us, if we fit into any of those categories or some more righteous one, the answer is the same. Jesus came for you and he is coming again. Jesus is coming at the second advent. He's ushering in his kingdom fully. He's making the world that is better than brand new. It will be sheer and utter perfection. He does that. We can't do that. He does that. Revelation 19 says this, Then I saw the heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. Listen, the only way that we can ever experience what God is going to create for us in eternity is through faith. And the only way that we can get to true faith is through the one whose name is faithful and true. Through Jesus himself. Every Tuesday, we get to gather together in room 206 here in the building for a teaching team meeting. And it's where we've all, uh, men and women who are gathered together, we, we've been soaking in the scriptures together and we've been reading commentaries and extra books about the texts that are to come. And, and a, it's one of my highlights of the week, every week to be in that room because there's this beautiful discipling of one another that happens in there. And it's beautiful in the way that the things shared in that room are often formative for what gets shared in the sermons here on a Sunday morning. And one of the things I took away from that this week uh, was these four questions. 
that I think are helpful for us during this holiday season, and I want to share them with you this morning. Is that okay? Good. I was going to share them anyways. First, who are we waiting on? Who are we waiting on? Most of us have probably logged enough hours in a church service or in some classroom that we know what the answer is. It's Jesus. Right? I saw some kids in here saying Jesus. They know. We know that's the answer, but do we really believe that the answer is Jesus? Or are we waiting for our spouse to become who we want them to be? Are we waiting for our kids to grow up, get a job, and get out of the house? Are we waiting for our neighbor to quit rolling our yard and to quit putting instant potatoes in our grass? Are we waiting for the one who's going to give us all the purpose and fulfillment we need in marriage and kids and a future? Or maybe it's a little closer to home. Maybe who you're waiting on really is yourself. Maybe you've believed that the life that you need is up to you. If you'll just work harder, if you'll keep going, keep, get the right training and network with the right people, go to the right conferences and keep pulling those bootstraps up, that eventually you will become who you need yourself to be. You'll be able to save yourself. You'll be able to turn your life around. Who are you waiting on? Look. I know it's not easy for someone to stand up here and rattle off a list of people and relationships not knowing your exact circumstances. And as a pastor, I feel this pressure not to be thinking of random arbitrary people who could be in different states, countries, or continents, but to think about the realities of the people in the congregation in our body here at Fellowship. And the reality is this, all of these things apply to people in this room today. In fact, all of them may apply to any one single person. Or we could have multiple that applies to me and to you, and all of them we're waiting for something other than Jesus, somebody other than Jesus. Who are you waiting for in this Advent season? Second question is, what are you waiting for? Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've spent far too many days of my life waiting for some epiphany that will change my life. And what I mean by that is a product or a business that will make me millions. And it will meet the needs of people they don't know they have yet. But I'll be needed forever to provide my service and my product and, and to, to bring in the dollars. And I've waited for people to invite me to a seat at the table, places of prominence or significance or some role that would give me some meaning. And in the West, we're waiting for the American dream to come and find us, aren't we? We're waiting for all these things to happen. Do we believe that the promotion we've been working for and scheming toward is truly what we're waiting for? Do we really believe that everything in the world would be at peace if our prodigal son or daughter would return to the Lord? Do we believe that the newly announced luxury car that was announced back in March is finally being made and that when it shows up in our driveway, that we're going to get what we're waiting for and it's going to give us all of the fulfillment that we want? Do we believe that moving into that new neighborhood is going to provide that purpose that we've longed for? What about getting into the college that you've wanted to do or the, the job after college that you've sought after or winning the championship with or for your team or finally discovering what it is the thing that you enjoy most to do in this life? 
What are we waiting for? Talmud says it this way. The apex of biblical Israel's hope for peace is reached in prophetic visions which transcend the horizon of human experience. Now, you might have expected that to show up in the week where peace is the thing. But I want to tell you why I love this quote. Talman reminds us that our peace and hope are secured by our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, and the work that he has done on our behalf. And that allows our vision to transcend the horizon of human experience. Without Jesus being the who we are waiting for, and without living with him in the new heaven and the new earth being the what we are waiting for, we're left focusing only on the horizon of human experience. And here's what we all know to be true about human experience in that horizon. It's always moving. It is always moving. It is never achievable. We can't accomplish it or acquire enough to bring us to the place of fulfillment. And it will leave us longing for more every time. It will never, ever be enough. If our ultimate focus is growing our small K, little K kingdoms here on earth, we will miss out on the surety of being part of God's big K kingdom in this life and in the next. When the what of the world is far more desirable than the what of eternity with God and his kingdom, we will always struggle with wanting the next what. That ever-moving horizon of human experience. Only an inheritance and presence in God's eternal kingdom in the new Jerusalem on His holy mountain can ever be what we are truly longing for. Okay, who do we wait for? What do we wait for? Now the harder questions. How do we wait? How do we wait? Y'all, Google has ruined us. Here's what I mean. When I was growing up, when you weren't sure about something and you were looking for some information about something, you went to the World Book Encyclopedia. Right? And you found that big stinking volume and you went and you laid it on your table, but it sounded like you slammed it. You flipped through, you found the word or whatever you're looking for, and you get there and you realize this is not what I was looking for. So what did you do next? You went to the card catalog and you pulled out that long drawer with all those cards in it and you picked some random word in the topic that you're trying to figure out and you're flipping through and you're like, okay, here it is. Here's three potential books. You go get those three books. You sit down at your table. An hour later, you've been reading through them and you found nothing that you were looking for. Anybody relate to that? Yes. Google, we roll up, type it in, and we instantly and immediately get the answer. Unless you're on the church's Wi-Fi and it's like five to seven seconds. Super slow. Super slow. Google doesn't require waiting unless you have to wait a few seconds. We live in a microwave world. We live in a Google world. But the life of faith is much more like a slow cooker. Low and slow. Over a long period of time, there are not immediate results, and ultimately, we live between the already and the not yet. 
We live in the already that Jesus came, born into our life just as we were, lived a sinful life, a sinless life, nothing like us, so that he could pay the debt that we rang up of our sins that we owed and would never be able to pay. And then he defeated death and sin by rising to new life because he is God and he rose from the grave and he offers new life in him. And he has not yet returned to bring his rule and reign back to a restored, renewed, and perfect world. A new earth where he will be with his people for all of eternity. A world that will look like what we discussed earlier, fully at peace without any impact of sin. But what do we do in the meantime? We wait. We wait. I don't know about you. I am not the best at waiting. I'm pretty impatient. I'm tempted when I'm driving down the road and I see the light turn red in front of me to evaluate. Is the sedan in the left lane going to get off the line faster than the minivan in the right? The answer is almost always yes. Unless I'm in the minivan on the right. Then maybe not. I want to hear from the Lord when I go to Him in prayer before I've ever started talking. Microwave expectations in a slow cooker reality. How do we wait. The short answer is in faith. But it's not simple. And it's not the easy thing to do. And I've heard this said, and I've said this, and you probably have too. You just got to have faith. It's why I almost asked for that George Michael song to be my walkout music this morning. But I decided that might not be appropriate. So apparently I'll make a joke about it now. That's better. Just having faith does not solve our problems. You just got to have faith. It's an empty platitude because things just aren't that simple. They aren't, just aren't that easy. But faith is our daily walk with Jesus far more than it's some old, crusty, dusty doctrine shoved up on a shelf somewhere. So if we're going to walk in faith, what does that mean? How do we do it? One of the other things shared this week at Teaching Team was about Kierkegaard, a book that he wrote, and he talks about the night of faith. And I found these three things that the night of faith practices to be incredibly helpful for how we wait. And he says, first you ascend in prayer. What's our first reaction when we're impatient? Yell, scream, rattle off something on social media about it? talk to everybody else but how do we wait in this advent first ascending to prayer calling upon the name of the lord who has come and who has promised to come again and second he says that we should sit at his feet in this season full of busyness and chaos and events and parties and and all of the errands that have to be run, are we sitting at the feet of Jesus? Are we spending time with Him? Are we resting at the work that He's already accomplished on our behalf or are we scheming and striving to do it yet again? Ascend to Him in prayer. Sit at His feet. And then he says, leave your offering there and in return. 
Living in faith means that we take our cares, our concerns, our brokenness, our loss, our heartache, our suffering, our temptations, our sins, and we leave them at the feet of Jesus. If we are walking in faith, that's exactly what we do. And we walk back into engaging in the world around us. Here's the thing. We are not in control of this thing. Y'all know that, right? We're not in control of this thing, but God is. We need to let God do what he is going to do. And that's what Kierkegaard is getting at here. That we must live in the reality that God is receiving and he is doing what he will do with our prayers and our requests. It's not up to us how he answers it. It's up to him. And embracing this reality does demand great faith. Faith that he is who he says he is and faith that he has a plan that he is working together for your good and my good and ultimately for his glory. Even if that plan doesn't align with ours. How do we wait when our prayers aren't answered or we feel like they're not answered or they're not answered in the way that we wanted them to be by looking to our future home. By looking to our future home. Who are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? How do we wait? And how long do we wait? This is the hardest part about waiting. That if we have heard and believed the gospel, we are guaranteed that Jesus will return and make all things new. We are guaranteed a future that is set and secure in his kingdom, in the new heaven, and the new earth. But we are not guaranteed an alleviation of our pain, our suffering, our loss, our hardship, our unreconciled relationships in this life. There is no promised end date. And the very hard reality to speak is that there may not be an earthly end date for those things in my life or in yours or in the life of our kids or our parents or our friends or our coworkers or our neighbors. But if our waiting is faith, uh, focused on the right who? Jesus. And if it's focused on the right what? His return to reign and rule over a perfected, painless, deathless, sinless, fully restored, renewed creation. If our waiting is rooted in the rhythms of prayer and resting in Jesus and leaving our burdens at his feet, then the length of our earthly waiting is but a vapor in comparison to our future reality and eternity in his presence. How long do we wait? When I officiate weddings, it's one of my favorite things to do as a pastor. And at the end of the wedding, I'll pray a prayer of blessing over the couple. And one of the last lines I say is, Lord, keep them in your hands until at last one lays the other into your arms or until you take them home. Guys, that same thing is true for us. How long do we wait? until he returns or until he calls us home. Until we enter into his kingdom fully and finally. All right, let's wrap up. This passage paints for us this beautiful picture for what awaits for us at the second advent. The coming of Christ again to make all things new. But we're reminded too that it is faith in the good news of Jesus that carries us from here to there. 
It is Jesus himself who holds us from here to there. Are you living in some doubts about your faith today? That's okay. That is understandable. And if you want to acknowledge that today, I encourage that because here's the reality. Your faith and your doubts can exist at the same time. Jesus can handle it. Our faith growth looks far more like a wrestling match than it does a stroll through the botanical gardens. So let's walk away from the facades that we have built. And let's take off the mask that we are wearing and live in the light knowing that Jesus is holding us, dear brothers and sisters. Remember the hymn, the Christmas hymn that I mentioned earlier? Oh, little town of Bethlehem. I shared these lyrics. The hopes and fears of all the years. But I didn't finish it. Do you guys know what the next five words are? You might. I'm not sure. There was a lot of different cadences there. So let me help in case you didn't. Are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears that we have in life are fruitless apart from Jesus. They will leave us unfulfilled and always longing for more, but a life of faith in Jesus, recognizing that we are sojourners and strangers. We are aliens. We are not citizens here. This is not our home. We're just passing through. This strange and broken, sin-filled world will remain focused on Jesus if that's where our faith is. Jesus who came at the first advent and who will return at the second to usher in a new creation where he will meet thee and we tonight. Jesus invites us into a life of faith Not one without doubt, not one without discouragements, but one that carries us through the brokenness of life into a life to come with him in his eternal kingdom in the new creation far better than anything else as we live with him on the holy mountain for all of eternity. The hard part of waiting in this advent not just in these weeks of December, but when He came until He returns is the darkness. Because we can't see the picture in front of our faces yet. And we don't create it. And we don't contribute to it in any way, but we partake in it. We're invited into it. Are you taking credit for aspects of your faith that only Jesus has done for you? Are you taking credit for something in the future that is yet to come that there's nothing you can do about? Are you living in the already and the not yet reality of faith in Jesus? That He was and He is and He is to come. That He did what you couldn't on your behalf and then He opens His arms and calls you in and says, family, come near brother and sister. This is what Advent is all about. Faith in the good news that Jesus came and was born into our world and faith that he will come again. May we not grow weary 
in our faith. May we not grow weary and tired of being held by Jesus when we can't hold him on our own. May we not grow tired of trusting that God is true to who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. And may we walk with him in faith today in this season of waiting. Father, this morning, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for Jesus. God, that you came down in the most unexpected way and lived our life so that you could do what we couldn't do for ourselves. And God, you offer us life. Father, as we wait between your first advent, your first coming as a baby amongst the animals, and your second coming in the second advent, God, may we walk with faith And when we cannot walk, we trust and know that you will carry us all along the way because of what you've done for us and your son, Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Great is the Lord who has come and is coming again. Amen. 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 If you're here today and you would like to uh, talk with somebody or you would like somebody to uh, pray with you, I want to invite you to uh, go to our prayer room. As you're leaving is to the back and the left, there's glass doors there you can see. And you'll be greeted there by a staff member or pastor or a a lay leader who works in our care ministry uh, and walking alongside of people within our body here at Fellowship. We end our times with a a benediction, a a blessing for the road. And in the midst of this Advent season, and in light of this word to walk in faith and be carried by Jesus in faith when you can walk no more, from his first coming into the second, hear these words from the book of Jude, verses 17 to 25. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own godly, ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt save others by snatching them out of the fire to others show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh now 
to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to be present or to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to our only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Fellowship, you are loved, you are sent. Peace be with you all. Thank you.